Good, hey, that's great. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke, excuse me, Mark chapter 14. That's next. And I want to preach a little earlier. I said I wanted to pulpit by 620, and y'all did a good job. Give it to me. And uh, we'll have handshaking as we go out. Amen? Amen. Some of you don't want to shake hands anyway, so here's your chance not to shake hands. Amen. Thank God, just sit there. But... um. There's two ordinances of the church. One of them is baptism. I believe every person that gets saved ought to get baptized. And if you don't get baptized, you'll never have assurance your salvation. You'll never be in God's will 100%. You can be 99.9% in His will, but you'll never be in God's will. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with you being saved and being a good testimony. But then there's another ordinance of the church. That's the Lord's Supper. So this morning, I, my title of my message, Brother Cody, was The Last Supper. And uh, thank you, brother. Uh, and... Uh, Probably didn't have a Georgia Bulldog on it. But uh, uh, the, uh, tonight's, tonight's message is uh, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. He changed this supper on this night. And the reason he changed this supper on this night is very significant. Because he wanted to say something that's a little different than just observing the Passover. When the death angel passed by and the blood was on the lintel of the door. That's what they celebrated for years and years uh, on the Passover. And uh, thank God that uh, the Lord makes a difference. And he takes us out of the law and he takes us out of the wilderness and he puts us in the promised land and he puts us in a new covenant called grace because he is grace, amen? And by the grace of God, you're here tonight. Good to see Brother Butch here after open heart surgery. That's a miracle, amen? You ever thought about what open heart surgery is? They open your heart. They open your body up. They put your heart somewhere else in the room and fix it and then put it back in. It might not be that drastic, but I know it's rough, amen. <laughs> and I went up to see Brother Butch, and he was hugging that coffin pillow, saying, amen, it could be worse, amen. I said, it could be. And God uh, had that happen to discover that blockage. So it's, all things work together. Amen. And uh, Miss Bradley's having surgery this uh, Friday, and, and it all happened because of an accident that uh, revealed that she has a blockage in her neck, and uh, that could very well uh, spare her life. So all things work together, say amen. We ought to rejoice over that. It's so good to see her here tonight. Her surgery's early Friday morning, Lord willing. She'll find out at 1 o'clock tomorrow where they're going to go ahead with it. And so we are blessed to be here, but I want to tell you something. We're blessed to be saved, and we're blessed to be going to heaven instead of hell. And that's why this missionary's uh, going uh, over to Spain to reach the military and uh, the Webbers and everybody else is going to Mongolia and everywhere else around the world. Um, half, uh, half my family's over in South Africa. Because the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Say amen. amen. And thank God for the blood. And so tonight I want to preach on the Lord's Supper. We'll start with verse 22, Mark chapter 14. Verse 22, and I'm going to preach just a few minutes and we're going to take our time in the Lord's Supper. i got some things I want to do during the Lord's Supper. That's why I'm ready to go and I won't be long, but we're going to take our time on the Lord's Supper tonight. But I hope that you'll look at the Lord's Supper different than you've ever looked at it before. Because, folks, if you don't see Jesus in the Lord's Supper, you've missed the whole point. We're not ritual keepers. We're definitely not just having communion so somebody can get saved. That's Catholicism, wicked Catholicism. If the bread actually turns into Jesus and you take it because you do an ordinance like that and it saves you, far from it. There's no works that will save you. It's the work of Calvary. Let's stand on the Word of God, verse 22. And they did eat. And as they did eat. 
I mean, they were just minding their own business, thinking it's going to be a regular Jewish ceremony. I'm going to give you two of the phrases that's always said before the bread and before the juice. And there was three cups of juice in the Passover. And it says, And Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. That must have blew their little minds when they said that. And look at this. It says, And he took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, or covenant, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drank it in the new kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, and we're going to do that, it won't be Psalms 118 like they did. They went out into the Mount of Olives. And then you know the rest of the story. Peter denied Jesus three times. You may be seated as I pray. Father, we do thank you for the good prayer meeting. And I can just tell by the tone of voices that there's some urgent prayer, prayer requests. Urgent. And Lord, we thank you for the great prayers that's been answered in that room. God, the wonderful prayer that you answered in in uh, my family's life, with Amy being able to hear again. That's such a blessing. Such a blessing. And God, I attribute it to you, not the doctors of South Africa. And I attribute it to answer prayer, prayer of faith from a good church that loves each other enough to pray for them, not gossip about each other or put each other down or wonder why this or that's not right. But God, just getting right with you and calling out to you to make things right if it's your will. And so, Lord, thank you for the ones that got on conviction this morning. I pray that you'd help us find them this week in their homes, that they'd be gloriously saved. And God, we just thank you for the day that you saved our souls, and that we're saved and on the way to heaven. And we want to remember that at the end of the service by observing what you told us to do, and that's remember your death, burial, and resurrection through the bread and through the juice that represents your body your blood. So Lord, thank you for the Lord's Supper. Thank you for straightening out the whole thing when you said what you said at this supper. So Lord, help us to learn. and Help us, God, to observe. Help us to worship. Help us to be more grateful than we've ever been in our lives for being saved. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to see the picture of the supper. I dare not review because I'll get hung up on it because I've really enjoyed this morning. Y'all might not have enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it. I think you did. You listened like you did. And um, uh, I appreciate a lot of visitors here. I appreciate ones that came uh, for their families, and that's a blessing. Somebody asked me why I did this, and it's for one reason, to get lost people and backslidden people under the sound of the gospel. Amen. I'll never apologize for that. I'll make some mad because you'll be left out or whatever, but uh, that's not my intention. My intention is to get some people here. They would not come unless they had a real reason to come. Amen. So we're going to continue to do that. If you'd like to have one of your family members remembered after they die, you must request it, okay? Please. All three of those sit on one of these pews one day, and now they're in heaven. And folks, that's something to think about. We never know. We never know when God's going to call us home. But I want you to see the picture, the picture of the Lord's Supper. Jesus uses the occasion of the Passover supper, the, pat, the, 
the, the, the Passover uh, uh, of the unleavened bread, the feast of the unleavened bread, uh, to institute a new covenant. The old covenant had been enforced since the law was given by Moses, revolved around ritual, symbolic sacrifices, and these rituals and these sacrifices were not wrong. Don't get me wrong. They were very precise, and I almost had a Jewish missionary come by tonight and, and go over this, but I, I want us to take the Lord's Supper um, with just this in mind, that this was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, who would be God's perfect sacrifice. And when he instituted this covenant and this, this supper, they were looking at him, say amen. They were looking at the lamb. And that's, a, that's amazing. And the new covenant would look back to the finished work of the Messiah. Every time we take it, we don't look back to the Passover. We don't look back to the manna. We don't look back to the uh, death angel going down the uh, road and the blood on the lintel of the door and, and the death angel pass over. We look back to Calvary because of this very supper, because of this very commandment that he said, you do this in remembrance of me. And so instead of keeping religious rituals and performing symbolic sacrifices, and if we were in the Old Testament, exactly what we do, we rest by faith on what Jesus did when he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried three days later. He arose from the, the dead some 40 days later. He ascended to heaven, and he ever liveth on the right hand of God. Amen? I'm glad we're not law keepers. We're grace uh, believers. Amen? We're saved by grace plus nothing Minus nothing. In this passage, Jesus teaches his men and the rest of us a new covenant, <clears throat> a new testament uh, to all of us. And he's really saying this, is that uh, religious ritual and keeping the law and even the Lord's Supper cannot save you, will never save you. You're saved by grace through faith. Amen? And so let's join Jesus as he teaches a great lesson on what he was about to do and what he has done and it is finished for us to have eternal salvation. Now let me just say this. I love parables in the New Testament. But I want you to know in the Old Testament, <clears throat> the Old Testament, there were some prophets that believed in some pictures. You know, uh, I heard Scott Pauley preach the other morning by way of his podcast. And he said, when I first got saved, I did not like the Bible. I thought, man, a lie. He didn't like the Bible. He said, because there was no pictures in it. When my, when my mother gave me my first Bible, I had a lot of pictures in it, amen? I, I, but he said, I didn't have any pictures. But he said, I, I changed all that when one day somebody preached on Calvary and I got the picture. The greatest picture you'll ever see is Calvary. Amen. The picture of his love, his grace, his power, his eternal salvation. But I don't have time to turn to these because I want to take our time during the Lord's Supper. But Ezekiel chapter 4 Verse 1 through 3 drew a picture, Ezekiel drew a picture of Jerusalem on a clay tablet and built a small enemy camp to illustrate the truth that Jerusalem was about to be attacked. In Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, Ezekiel, now get this, Ezekiel, you'll like this, Jerry, Ezekiel shaved his beard, which was unheard of in the Old Testament. And Kaylee's rejoicing in the Lord right now. But anyway, um, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to get a little personal. They shaved, he shaved his head. It was a shame to shave your beard or your head. Now, I didn't shave my head. It fell off. Not my head, the hair. Amen? Amen. But I, and I, I not, you know, I can't help it. 
And if I had a toupee, I'd probably sling it off while I preached, amen? That'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it? But Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 1 and 3, he wants to illustrate something. He said, hey, I'm shaving my beard. I'm shaving off, uh, off uh, my hair off the, my head. And uh, then, he, then he did something else. And I'll just summarize it. Ezekiel 5. Y'all look it up later. It's exciting. He took the hair and piled it in three piles. One pile he burned. One pile he struck with a sword. The third pile he scattered to the wind. And this was a picture of the judgment that was about to come to Israel. Now, folks, there's power in that picture. Jeremiah 17, uh, 27, verse 1 through 7. Jeremiah constructed a yoke, and he wore it around many days. A yoke, like an oxen yoke, to illustrate the coming Babylonian captivity of his people. He wanted to get across there was a bondage coming. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 29 through 33. The prophet Abias uh, tore his clothes in 12 pieces, and gave ten to Jeroboam to illustrate the fact that God was about to make ten tribes from Israel, uh, uh, take ten tribes from Israel, and from the northern kingdom would be two. And he tore his clothes up. So here at the Passover feast, the greatest preacher that ever lived on this earth, the greatest illustrator, the greatest teacher. And folks, if it's all right for Jesus to use illustrations, I think it's all right for you to use illustrations. Say amen. I'm not talking about flanograph that went out in the 1940s with the paneling walls. I'm talking about other illustrations like role playing and, and um, things that we do to get the children's attention. Uh, Vinny absolutely goes crazy during vacation Bible school and we all laugh, but it's not just to be laughing. It's a point. It's a point. We're illustrating something. And it's good. I love it. And that's why a lot of the kids keep on coming back. Say amen. Besides the good crafts and the good food. That'd bring you back right there, amen. Little Baptist kids coming back for food, amen. Thank God. Woo, it was good. But the Passover feast, Jesus combines words and symbols to communicate the truth to his disciples that are a little slow. They wasn't getting it. They thought Jesus was going to be the liberator and the great uh, liberator like Moses, but he was come to be the lamb. and They just didn't get it. So let's look at these symbols together. At the meal progress the head of the family in the Passover, in this case is Jesus, explains each portion of the feast to all the children, and that would be the disciples. The bitter herbs reminded them, and I read this in Exodus 12, you want to see it, it's Exodus 12, 1 through 12, but the bitter herbs reminded them of their bondage of slavery in Egypt. Folks, I want to tell you something, when we take the Lord's Supper, we ought to realize where God found us. Say Amen. We ought to realize if it wasn't for the grace of God, you'd still be an addict. You'd still be a drunk. You'd still be bound up in flesh and pride and vainglory. You'd still be there. You'd be, a, you'd be a puppet of hell if it wasn't for the grace of God. Say amen. You'd be, you'd be, you'd be strung up or strung down or strung around like a little puppy on a leash uh, by the devil if it hadn't been for the grace of God that saved you and delivered you and set you free. It was a bitter herb they took. And then number two, the wine, which was grape juice, I'll prove it in just a minute, represented God's fellowship with the believer in the midst of trials, the crushing of the wine. The stewed fruit that they ate, which was a color consisted of clay, reminded them of the bricks that they were forced to make. The unleavened bread now represents separation from evil and, and uh, to make haste. They didn't have time to cook it or let it rise, it was unleavened. They were about to move out into liberty. 
Praise God. They were about to be liberated. Then the roasted lamb. Now we're getting to some place where some of you Baptists would like it. The roasted lamb represented redemption. And each part of the meal was eaten, and the host took the time to explain the symbolism and the spiritual importance of each thing they did. You ever seen a, a Jewish person come and do the Passover? It's, it's fascinating. And I'll just be honest with you, the last time somebody did that, I didn't get a thing out of it, and that's to my ignorance because I wasn't listening. Next time they come, it's going to be a new thing for me because I'm going to really get it. Amen? And I just admit sometimes I don't get it. I don't get all the symbolism. But folks, you ought to get two symbolisms. That's the blood, that's the wine, the juice, and the bread. Amen? When it came time to serve the bread, something wonderful happened. Something miraculous happened. Something outstanding and shocking happened. Look at verse 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed. And he, they thought they were going to go through the normal Passover ritual. And I'll give you the words that every father had to say before they took the bread. And I'm excited about giving it to you. But, he, but I'm more excited about what he said. He said, and he break it, break it, and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. They thought, what in the world is he talking about? And he would have said the same thing. We're supposed to be doing the Passover. We're supposed to be doing the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. We're supposed to be remembering the death angel passing by and the blood on the lintel and the little firstborn is spared because all the bitter herbs and the roasted lamb and the blood that's slain that was there for four days to get the family so affectionately close to that lamb that they hated to see the father kill it. And that's the high price of sin. And the blood on the lintel. And I guarantee you, friend, the firstborn was taking this ritualism very serious. And when the death angel passed by and did not capture them and kill them, I guarantee you they were grateful for that little lamb. They were grateful for the father following the exact things that they were supposed to do. They were grateful for the, for the blood that was on the lintel of the door. And you ought to be grateful for the blood that's on your heart's door. Because it's the only thing that's going to keep you out of hell. Amen. That's the only way you're going to miss hell is have the blood applied to your heart. But Jesus broke it. He passed it around to the men, and he would have said, Praise be thou, O Lord, sovereign of the world, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. This was the traditional Jewish statement as the bread was taken. He didn't say anything about the manna. He didn't say anything about God blessing the bread that comes from the earth. He said this, New meaning, take, eat, this is my body. Amen. He was changing a lot. But folks, God makes a great change. Take, eat, this is my body. Jesus was equating the unleavened bread with the human body. See, 33 years earlier in a town called Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. Isn't this wonderful? God, God goes down to details with this fulfilling of Scripture. And he took on a bot, human body 33 years before that fact. And everything Jesus did, he did in that body. He lived there in that body. He preached there 
through that body. He worked miracles there in that body. Eventually, he would die in that body. He would rise again in that body. He would ascend to heaven in that body. Uh, folks, he would come again in that body. And thank God when we see him in heaven, we will see him in that body. Amen. The only man-made thing in heaven is going to be the nail prints in his hands. Think about it. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, Jesus said, This is my body which is given to you. This do in remembrance of me. You know what he was summing up saying? I'm giving my life as the lamb. I'm giving my life as the substitute for your sins. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and 24 real quick. Or real slow if you want to. That was the shortest song service in the history of Whitfield Baptist, so we ain't got no hurry. But look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Sorry to rearrange things sometimes, amen? We're not on the menu here. We don't sing 30 minutes, preach 45. No, we sing 30 minutes and preach an hour. But no, look, look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to look at it, please. Verse 23 and 24. These verses will bless your heart. All things. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also delivered unto you. And, and, and it says, That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And I want you to notice in verse 24, please, that is broken for you. This doing remembrance of me. Now, folks, that'll knock the ritual right out of the Lord's Supper. That'll knock the, the law-keeping right out of the Lord's Supper. Folks, he's saying, this, this bread represents my body. It's unleavened, it's perfect, it's holy. But I want to tell you something, this, this bread, disciples, in just a few days, is going to be given for you. And it's going to be broken for you. And I'm going to offer it for you. And I'm going to take your hell for you. And I'm going to take your sin debt for you. And folks, it's so personal when he said, it's broken for you. It's bruised for you. Jesus used the bread that night to teach the disciples what he was about to do. He was going to lay his life down on the cross for your life, for your sin. John chapter 10 says that no man would take his life, but he'd lay down his life for you. He could have called 10,000 angels or 10 angels and wiped out that whole puny world and all the religionists, and all the Roman Empire, he could have wiped them out with one angel. But he laid down his life for you. This is the bread that's broken. This is the bread that's going to be offered. This is the bread that I give to you. He was on the way to Calvary, and his body would be broken for you. Jesus wanted his men and the rest of us to know that the broken body was more important than a piece of unleavened bread more important than manna from heaven, and more important than any bread that they'd ever, ever raised and made from the wheat and the unleavened bread. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, and I'll refer to this great chapter many times in verse um, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, says, Surely he hath bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet he did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. Look at verse 5. Isaiah 53, 
says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. That has nothing to do with physical healing. That's spiritual healing. But I like verse 6. All of us have to get in on the first all, and all of us can get out of the judgment of God on the second all. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. How many admit that you, were, you are a sinner? Amen. And it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Listen to this now. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, he was a sacrifice that literally the sins were laid on him. The Jews could not understand this symbolism. They couldn't understand it at all. In John chapter 6, he got real explicit with his, with his uh, declaration. Look at John chapter 6 and verse 53 through 58 before we take the Lord's Supper. John 6, 53 through 58. The Bible says this. Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Folks, what he was saying, look at verse 57, John 6. As the living Father has sent me, I, li I live by the Father. So be that, uh, that eateth me, uh, he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which I came down from heaven... Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. What he's saying is stating, hey folks, I'm going to tell you something. I am the bread. And you must take the bread. You must believe in me. You know, I really believe the Jews probably looked at this and said, I don't know what in the world he's teaching. But the great truth is, when we take the Lord's Supper, we need to realize that the bread represents the body that was offered. And folks, before it was offered, he came to us when we couldn't come to him. Amen. He was born in a womb of a little peasant girl named Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, not the mother of God. Say amen. And friend, listen, it's a miracle that the bread came to us. More than the manna from heaven, God's man came from heaven. God became man. God offered himself. And folks, he still has a body in heaven. Before then, God did not have a body. I don't know what he looked like, but he was glorious. But you look in Revelation chapter 1, he still has a body. And folks, he, his body is, is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. When the time came to drink the wine, look at this. Look at, look at verse 23 and 24. We'll close with this. It says, and he took the cup and said, he that giveth thanks, and he had given thanks. When he had given thanks to them, they all drank of it. And as they were drinking the third cup, this is the third cup, it's called the cup of blessing. And he said to them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Now, the word New Testament doesn't mean Matthew through Revelation. The New Testament is this. There's a new covenant. 
there's a new, there's a, there's a, there's a way that I'm manifesting. When the time came to drink the third cup of wine or juice, I don't think it was leaven or it had been a bad pitcher, because folks, wine is not pure. Wine is fermented, and that would have been a terrible pitcher of his precious pure blood. Uh, folks, if you take any, if you ever go to a church and they say take wine for the communion, I mean fermented wine, they've got a bad pitcher. And the church of Corinth got rebuked for that because they got drunk around the Lord's Supper table. So there's nowhere in the Bible that says you take real wine, but wine means the crushed grapes, and his body was crushed for you. And I'll tell you who crushed it in just a minute. But this is what a normal Passover would say right before the cup. May the all-merciful one make us worthy of the days of the Messiah and of the life of the world to come. He brings salvation of his king. He shows covenant faithfulness to his anointed, to David and his seed forever. It's forecasting the Messiah. He makes peace in his heavenly places. May he secure peace for us and for all Israel. And you say, Amen. That's why I pump all the time, you say, Amen. It's scriptural. Amen. It's better than saying, Oh, me, or falling asleep. But that's what the Lord's Supper was before the Lord's Supper. That was the Passover. He said, may my all-merciful one make us worthy of the days of the Messiah. He brings salvation of his king. And that was true, but that was forecasting. That was in the future. Now, when Jesus took the juice, third cup, the cup of blessing, he said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Jesus equated the wine in the cup or the juice in the cup to his own blood that he was about to shed on the cross. The wine is a cup that produces, is produced through crushing, through violence. You rip off that grape off a vine. You take it out of its normal habitat and, 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 and the glory of being displayed on a vine. And you rip it off and you bring it low and you put it in a wine press and you crush it. And the juice flows. And folks, Jesus was about to be crushed by the full weight of the religious Israel, his own people, by the mighty Roman Empire. They would combine forces to see him dead. More importantly, Jesus was about to be crushed by his own father. When Jesus was on the cross, he literally became sin for you who knew no sin. That you might be made the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And the full force of the awesome wrath of God was poured out on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's crushed for you. Back in Isaiah chapter 53, I read through verse 6, but I want you to look at verse 10. Isaiah 53, verse 10. And I'll close. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased who? The Lord, God. Why? Hey, God Almighty, to bruise him. Who's him? Jesus. Listen to this. He has put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul, 753 years before the fact, and when thou make his soul an offering for sin, he shall 
see his seed, that's you, and he shall prolong his days, that's a resurrection, and the pleasure of the Lord shall be prosper in his hands. Look at verse 11. And, and he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By the knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Amen. Folks, 712 years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah saw it. He saw him being crushed by God bruised by God and he saw him on the cross because of your sin and because of my sin the truth's made clear in numerous places in the New Testament you write them down the references I'll read them to you Romans 4.25 who has delivered us for our offenses and has raised us again for our justification Romans 5.8 but God commended his love towards us and while we were yet sinners Christ died for us 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. My favorite verse on salvation, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin, we take his righteousness. What a gift. It's imputed righteousness. He transfers it to your account. Your sins are transferred to his account. It's nailed to the cross. But praise God, his righteousness is put on our account. So when you get to heaven, it's not going to be your self-righteousness. It's going to be God's righteousness Amen. that you receive the moment you're saved. Ephesians 5, 2 says, And walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. When Jesus was crushed on the cross, his precious blood was shed. When the blood was shed, God was satisfied. That's the only way to satisfy God's justice. For the wage of sin is death. Somebody had to die. If Jesus hadn't took your death, you'd die and eternally be in hell forever. That's right. But he took your sin dead. Ephesians 3, 25 and 26 says it like this. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. I mean satisfying our God's justice. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. I'm justified. You know what that word means? Justified, never sinned. And as though I've always been righteous. And that's the miracle of Calvary. So when you take that juice, you ought to think about a miracle. And folks, I want to tell you something. It commemorates every time we, every time we have communion or the Lord's Supper. We ought to be reminded we have been made right because of God's justice being satisfied through the blood of Jesus. Washed away, cleansed, joy unspeakable. So the third cup in the Jewish Passover is called the cup of the blessing. And if you'll look at 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16, 
Paul said it this way, the cup of the blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood, is, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? He was saying, it's a cup of joy. It's a cup of salvation. Folks, it's profound. It's exciting. Folks, remember the Lord uh, did for you when he, when he came to this world and He died in your place. This is my body. This is my blood that will be offered for you. Take, eat, appropriate, believe, receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just think about it or know about it. Experience it. Be saved by the grace of God. And so let me just close with verse 25. It says, Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drank it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus tells his men, this is a cup of blessing because of the future. Jesus is looking down the corridors of time and he sees Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, when he comes with a vesture dipped in blood and he takes over this world and he rules and reigns for a thousand years. Folks, he's seeing the future reign. He's seeing the future glory. He's seeing earth with the government on his shoulders and the glory of God and the, and, and the majesty, folks, and it's all made possible because he took the agony of Calvary for you. So when we take the Lord's Supper, yes, look back, but thank God we ought to look forward and know the next time that we see him, we'll see him face to face, maybe in the rapture. Amen. And then one day we'll come with him and rule and reign for a thousand years. And then verse 26, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And folks, the disciples didn't know what was about to happen. They sang Psalms 113. I believe it is, the closing hymn of the Passover. And folks, they didn't know what was going to happen, but their master would be arrested. Their master would be tried, condemned to death, beaten, beyond recognition, crucified, buried. They didn't know it, but Jesus knew it. And even though Jesus knew it, he, had, and he, he knew he was headed for a trap, but he went anyway. Even though he knew that Judas would bring the soldiers to arrest him, he went anyway. Even though he knew that Israel would reject him, he went to him anyway. Even though he knew that the people would reject him, he went to him anyway. Even though he knew that the Rome would condemn him, he went on anyway. And even though he knew that the soldiers would beat him to a pulp, he went on anyway. And even though he knew that he would be nailed to a cruel cross as a criminal on a hill called Calvary, he went on anyway. He went on anyway. And even though he knew that he would be nailed to that cross, and even though he knew about all the pain and the suffering, he went on anyway. And folks, your sin weighed much more than the old rugged cross. And folks, what, what we ought to see every time we take the Lord's Supper is that Jesus is our only hope. Amen. That Jesus is the only way to be saved. We need, to, we need to realize this before we take the Lord's Supper. We're just going to take it in two minutes. Jesus loves you. He really loves you. He loves you like nobody else has ever loved you. He'll keep on loving you no matter what. He's unconditional love. Folks, He loved you so much He paid the high price of redemption. He took your sin debt. He took your place. As the old song says, if that's not love, I don't know what love is. He left the splendor and glory of heaven and came down to this earth 
became your redeemer. Someone needs to come to this altar after the Lord's Supper and worship and praise Him for saving their soul. And somebody needs to come to this altar that's not saved and get saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Lord's Supper. Lord, as we take this in closing our service tonight, Lord, thank you that you changed it all, that you set a new covenant, that you opened up grace to all of us. And Lord, that we're saved by faith and always been saved by faith and the blood that was shed. But the poor Old Testament folks had to look forward to it with symbolism and ritual, sacrificing with little old lambs and blood flowing everywhere, thousands and thousands of lambs, bloody altars and bloody outer courts and bloody altars of sacrifice. But God, your altar and you becoming our lamb summed it up. 